0: This is a fourth-hand production.
1: I don't think nobody's going to take it or want to put a patent on this name. So you know, we, we we carved out a niche. So I guess there's strange cousins and all the rest of them. But
0: <laughs> <You>
2: <laughs> no could. one wants to be a strange cousin. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the last. Mind.
1: That's
0: the worst title you <laughs> can yeah, take. Yeah, eh? no one
2: wants that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> strange uncles is pushing it. Story in the news today you believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they, are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental... I don't uh, know, that they're building
0: And police in Espanola are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe
2: are ghosts.
1: Weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. Welcome to Strange Uncles. I'm Shane.
2: John. I'm Josh.
1: This is episode one of season
2: six. You guys believe that shit? And what an episode... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What episode do we got for you?
1: <laughs> yeah, hang on to your hang on to your pants, everybody. It's pretty good. And we're not going to tell you who. We're just going to roll into it here after we get done doing some banter. Um, it's been a long time coming. You know, we had like Christmas. We had a New Year's. Uh, I saw you guys kind of in the middle of that whole thing. Uh, hopefully, you got everything Santa wanted to give you. I don't know. You no, know?
2: I didn't get shit. <laughs> you didn't get nothing, huh? <laughs> I also didn't give anyone anything, so it's fine. It's just the way I like it. You're perfect.
3: Yeah, I enjoy a. Uh... Uh, a low key Christmas, I guess is the word I'm trying to look for.
1: Yeah. No, we had the same thing here. I will tell you that uh, I was going to text you guys, but I figured I'll oh, wait to the show. Um, the wife gave me the coolest present I think I've ever had. Uh, have you guys heard of that uh, app called Cameo? Uh, the- yeah. Okay. Did so somebody
2: give you a message?
1: Yeah. So she uh, had Pin Gillette off Penn and Teller uh, do a private oh, message, yeah. and I just. Like it was, man. I goddamn it, love you. Oh, it was awesome. She's so cool. So.
2: I, always, I, I always wondered who did that. like, I have friends. I have friends that do those things, and like, I'm like, who the hell would care if you gave them a message? <laughs> whatever, like Spencer from Under Earth or whatever. Like it's like, hey, I'm on Cameo. Let me know. I'm like, okay.
3: What? <laughs> I don't know. It's fair
2: enough. That's awesome. Though. I'm glad. I'm, I'm apparently like makes people happy. So that's awesome. Yeah,
1: no, no, it was cool. It was cool. Like I said, it was a neat Christmas gift. Um, yeah, but it was kind of low key for, for us too. You know, we didn't do much. Um, miss you guys. Definitely. You know, we've been a little uh, around a month, I guess, taking the break as everyone does kind of this time of year. Um, but again, you know, season six, we're off and rolling. Um, got a good, actually not good. I would say great. Uh, I've been bugging the guy for like all of 2021 and, and we finally got it lined up and had him on, but before that, I wanted to ask you guys a question, and it goes back to something we talked about uh, that was on the recording, you know, before we recorded earlier. We talked about Mandela Effect, correct? Like what that is. We're not yes. going to explain to the listener what Mandela Effect is. If you guys don't know, you shouldn't be listening to our podcast anyway. Um, just Google it. Yeah, exactly. Unfortunately, we had Betty White Pass, right, just before New Year's. And so she I, she died at ninety nine. I, I saw it on the on the news feed. I'm like, oh shit, is this fake? Is it real? You know, come to find out, it, it was you know it was real. Um, I guess she's got a week, a week and a half till her hundredth birthday, and she just you know she passed away, which happens when you're ninety nine. I mean, hell, we talked about it on the on the chat group. You know, she's had a good life, but at the same time, it's like damn, twenty twenty one. It's like hold my beer, watch this. You know, and this was a one last thing that it went out on, but. One thing that I noticed, so we were going to my brother-in-law's house um, about an hour and a half away, and we're in in, uh, the grocery store. We're picking up a veggie tray, things like that, for the New Year's Eve. And I noticed, and and so I'm going to explain it. Again, it's an audio podcast, everybody. But if anybody's familiar with People Magazine, I saw it sitting there. Never heard of it. (laughs) Yeah, right? I have no fucking clue. I saw it sitting there, and it had a title on the front called Betty White Turns 100. And so I got
2: to thinking... And and I'm not a betting man,
1: but what do you want to bet that this is going to turn into one of the latest and greatest Mandela effects?
2: That's kind of crazy, yeah. No, that's Hmm. that is pretty funny. Yeah, like where
3: people will be like, no, she didn't die when she died. She died after Yeah, Yeah, like there's a People
2: magazine that says she turns 100.
1: I bought it. I have it. It says right there. Yeah. Yeah. She
2: was Times Person of the Year. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is it bad that that's where my mind went right away? I, I guess that's no. That, I mean, I feel like that's <laughs> you
2: know? that's actually pretty interesting. I it, it, the whole phenomenon like, is interesting because you but, know you see that it's like the Back to the Future thing or whatever. Like, but like it's like it's, oh yeah yeah. It doesn't say like she's about to turn hundred. Like yeah, it turns a hundred and yeah, she turns a
3: hundred. Ten days. What will she do next?
2: Yeah. Isn't that yeah, crazy?
1: Yeah. I, I don't know. I caught that. I just, I could not wait. I've been sitting on that for, you know, what, three, four days since New Year's and i just couldn't wait to bring it out to you guys because I want to get your opinion on it. But, uh, you know, yeah, sadly I enough. I feel like that's,
2: you know? I feel like that can be like in 10 years, that's the Man- Mandela effect. Like, no, I swear when I was a kid, I saw a People magazine on my grandma's yeah. thing and it said she turned a hundred.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're there trying to argue. No, no, that's not what happened, and nobody's going to believe you. Almost a hundred. Yeah, just like the Bernstein Bears. Nope, that's not what you call them. Nobody's going to believe you. You know, it's a thing. It's just a weird thing, you know, for sure. But uh, anyway, I want to bring that up just to kind of start the new year. Um, we're going to roll into the interview. And, and again, it, I've been kind of knocking on this guy's door for a while. Glad we kind of got him all locked down. And uh, we're going to play that for you next launch. You guys have something to kind of t- tidbits, anything to catch I up with? I just can't even
2: believe this guy gave us the time of day. Yeah. <laughs> Very confused on why he dis- was willing to talk to us. So You know,
1: I was on the phone with him earlier, and he
2: just – Oh, very appreciative. A great guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, just amazing, just amazing. I mean, so, yeah, too cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and roll in the interview, and then we come back. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about him. Uh, we'll talk about what we have kind of up and coming for the new uh, season six. Again, I can't believe we're in six, but here we are, folks. You know, this is – it's still rocking and rolling, so hopefully we got some good stuff for you. Um, But unless you guys have anything, you want to roll into it? Go for it. Roll the beautiful beam footage. Here we go, everybody. Enjoy this interview. Open the gates. So we have been working on lining up this guest way back since the olden days of 2021, if you guys... Remember that time Um, being a huge fan myself, I decided to try and reach out one day and lo and behold, he responded back saying, quote, strange uncles is a great name. I would love to. And so fast forward to the present and here we are. So for decades, uh, our guest has been one of the TV's most trustworthy and adventurous historians where he has taken viewers places never before seen on TV and uncovered some of the greatest history lost to the world. He has worked across a wide spectrum of diverse content, from history and engineering to outdoor adventure. He has served as a host of travel channels Off Limits, Weird Travels, Monumental Mysteries, and Buried Worlds, just to name a few. Additionally, he hosted History Channel Cities of the Underworld, and in 2018, he won Best Host for the Reality Adventure category at the TV Awards for the show Mysteries at the Museum, which happens to be one of my personal favorites. It is an honor to finally get to meet and have on Mr. Don Wildman lined up here on our podcast. So, Mr. Wildman, welcome to Strange Uncles. Oh, thank you very much. We have to talk about the title right away.
0: Where did that come from?
2: <laughs> I, I, I
0: knew you were going to ask.
2: Whose uh, interview is this. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly.
0: <laughs> I, I ask because I'm a, an uncle to many. I have uh, four older sisters, all of which have, you know, done their two children and, and, and all that sort of thing. and And then they're all having kids. And so I'm this phenomenal uncle. To all of them, and it's uh it, it matters to me to be an uncle. So it mattered to me that you had the name.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, I think the uncles get uh you know they get the short end of the stick sometimes. I right. I actually so I started this podcast, and and it was a name I came up with because I j- I just thought it was kind of glitchy. Um, you know, <laughs> I had other things kind of around it at one time, and then uh, I meant to John and Josh in Salt Lake City, and uh and just so happened that uh John was um he was manager at a bar, and I was talking about remote viewing with my wife, and he had. Put the beers down I said, "Would you say?" And and here we are. You know, fast forward what three, four <laughs> years later, guys. Um. So that's just something I had, and and we kind of rolled into it. But you know, what we hear a lot from our our guests, which you know, namely you as as well, is that it, uh, it sticks out. I don't think we're in. I don't think nobody's gonna take it or want to put a patent on this name. So you know, we we, we carved out a niche.
0: So I guess there's strange cousins and all the rest of them, but <laughs> <You>
2: <laughs> no could. one wants to be a strange cousin. <laughs> yeah, that's the
0: last, that's the worst title you <laughs> can. take. yeah. Say, yeah right? No one
2: wants that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> strange uncles is pushing it. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's on the envelope for sure. I get some strange looks, you know, but it is what it is. <laughs> but no, awesome, Don, No, it, it, number one, it's great to have you have you on. You know, like uh, in the intro, we've been trying to trying to get you for a while, and so in your time it is just great. Um, again, you know, like like I said, I've been a fan. Josh and John are both fans. You know, you, you've got a, a body of work, and and I I'll start with this a little bit. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to punch on a pedestal, but I'll tell you honestly, um, you're one of the reasons I think I love hidden history so much because oh, of what nice. you just unfolded. I mean, it was just neat. You know what we get taught in school and what we have in our textbooks really. Doesn't coincide with history in general, you know, and it seems like we're finding things every day of you know we're thousands of years before we were you know such and such. Um, so just just a very uh, just a very awesome thing to have you on and, and to discuss that. Thank and you very much.
0: That means a lot to me to hear that. I uh, I learned to love history, you know, and and I mean I was I was I learned when I was young because my dad was a history teacher, and so it was a big part of our family life. You know, we didn't have a lot of money. My dad was, uh, you know, on a teacher's salary, and then he became an administrator of a school. And, and uh, a tiny little town in southern New Jersey is where I grew up, <clears throat> and uh, a very nice place to grow up. I was a lucky kid and all that. But uh, w- the fanciest vacations we ever took were in the, the, um, the tent trailer. I don't know if you remember the Nimrod trailer <laughs> brand, do. but that's what my father rolled up with one Saturday. I remember when I was a kid, he bought it for $300. And uh, and I don't even think he did any work on it. I think he was very proud of like cutting foam rubber or something for it. I, I, there were things he did, but we would crowd into this. And I mean, crowd there were at least three of us were there at any given time because my my oldest sister is 20 years older than me. So she was off to college by the time I was around. But um, we would go on these family vacations up and down the eastern seaboard, mainly to battlefields and historic sites. I remember Appomattox and Shenandoah and Harper's Ferry and. All the way up to New England, of course. And my father's agenda was to basically sort of brief us on American history, you know, because he cared so deeply about it. Um, and uh, and that was kind of how we spent our summers. We'd always plan these things. We would. I lived at a camp. I, uh, we had a campground we lived at where the where the tent trailer lived. That's how my parents avoided paying for summer camp for all of us because we just sort of planted out this place outside of town. Nice. And then uh, two or three weeks in su- in the summer. In August we'd pull up our roots and and go out on the road. And it was very exciting. And we just drive forever and ever. And this American Motors ambassador, I don't know how my father bonded to that whole brand, but it started with Rambler. Like I I grew up in a Rambler station wagon that was so beat up, I remember pulling out the foam rubber from the seat between my legs, like that was my little game to pick at it. (laughs) And then we graduated to an American to a Plymouth Barracuda which had a uh, glass back was my father's midlife crisis. And I grew up in that, that little bubble with no seatbelts, no nothing, just bouncing around back there, watching things, you know, lying down, watching the telephone poles go by. And then we went to an American motors ambassador, a matador, and then a Buick Skylark. I remember these cars, like they were, you know, like it was the 19, it was the 1970. Anyway, uh, along the way, we, I picked up a love for history and an appreciation that it was really something important to one's life. And that if you didn't have it in your, in your toolbox in life, you were really, you know, falling short of your responsibility. You know, that was kind of how it was framed to us that there was a thing. First of all, it was responsibility to the family because you had to sort of keep your, um, you know, keep up with the conversations. Current events were very important and, uh, you know, it just had to sort of be respectable about what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- there was no television around because it was sort of early days and we had a black and white, but it wasn't particularly interesting to look at. So it was a lot of talking. And then when the TV got better, I remember we got the, the color television. It got rolled into the dining room because the <laughs> Vietnam War was going on. And so we had to watch all that. And, and anyway, you had to sort of keep up. And so that was the responsibility to be able to sort of service the conversation. And then you had to take it into your life. And, and be able to know when things happened and why amendments mattered in the Constitution and so forth and so on. And so it was second nature to me to, to have this. And, and when I went out into the world, I was kind of shocked to find out that a lot of people, a lot of Americans, really lack uh, an underpinning of understanding the very basics of, of certainly American history, never mind the world. Yeah. And that was really disappointing to me and really amazing. And to this day, quite honestly, there's, there's just a, a daily... <laughs> Uh, learning that that we as a nation and a society suffer from uh, mal understanding of ourselves and and it's every it's on it's on all sides of the the arguments you know it doesn't matter where you come from politically Mm -hmm. everybody has that problem so anyway that's my speech
3: (laughs) no uh my my mom was the same way like uh right after i graduated high school i had all these uh awesome summer plans and uh they were like, no, we're going to go tour Civil War battlefields all summer, so like, oh. forget about it. <laughs> so it was a pretty good time. Uh, I, I, was, I wasn't stoked about it at the time, but it's something I look back on really fondly now.
0: Why was it? Why do you look back on it fondly? I'm curious.
3: Uh, it was time spent with my family. Like, uh, Growing up, my dad and I weren't super close, um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where all that started turning around a little mm-hmm. bit. Um and my mother taught me a, a love of history as well growing up. Um, so it was it was really cool once I got over my bratty teenage stuff mm-hmm. of being mad about not being able to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and going on this family trip, it was very educational, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's a big part of why I look back on it fondly. It would be like years and years and years before we would take another like family trip like that. Actually. After my mother passed, we went on a trip that was kind of the second leg of that, uh, just kind of as a tribute to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool. Do
0: you have kids now?
3: Nah, got a couple cats. You're an uncle. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you a strange uncle. Do, yeah. as, as an uncle, do you share history stories with uh, nephews and nieces?
3: Yeah, um, we do that whenever we get together as a family. Usually, they're embarrassing stories about my history. Um, that's <laughs> yes. like a favorite personal topic.
0: history. That's a whole another matter.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, my oldest sister is actually uh, American history teacher. Oh, uh, she teaches eighth grade. I think.
0: Perfect. Um,
3: so yeah, we talk about that stuff a lot. Like uh, we usually we usually talk about how everything we learned in public school was wrong. Right. <laughs> That's
1: yeah. Yeah. You, you got that too. And and again, you know, not to make this podcast about, you know, it's all of us really. But um, the first time I met Josh, I was fascinated by just you, man, you got a good background of just history in general. Um, and, and I think you know, I was born in Montana and I, I, my dad was a trucker and that was my history. So summertime was I'm with my dad and I got to go to see Mount Rushmore and these other things that were within, you know, four States of, you know, whatever mm-hmm. he was, whatever load he was hauling. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's a start of just love for it, you know? So yeah, completely understand Don. I mean, when you talk about that, it, it's amazing, you know, it starts from the, from the, you know, your little sea as a child and, and what that looks like, you know, just very yeah. amazing. So
0: that's interesting. You were a, a trucker's son. That's incredible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of and respect you, for it. So. so
0: you would travel in, did he have a big semi type of thing?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah yeah again whose podcast is this uh, it, it, we, <laughs> we have you on i don't uh, love it <laughs> <I'm>
0: sorry <laughs> i do i am interested in other people that's the problem yeah yeah um, <laughs> well'm I'm, I'm happy to talk about myself shoot away
1: yeah yeah no no you're you're totally fine um you know I guess we can start from there you know and again you know we, we've got some questions lined up but but I guess you know you answer some of our questions you know you your your father was a teacher um yep. you know we we talked earlier and I caught some of the things that you know that's kind of the road that you were gonna to go down and and we kind of...
0: I'll give you the the brief on it. Yeah. You know, I was a show-off kid. I I was the Santa Claus in the Christmas play in second grade. I was, you know, I just really got off on on jumping up and being, uh, you know, the center of attention. And I don't know where that came from. Maybe it was because I was the only boy in a family of girls and it was just something I was used to. Mm but uh, I liked it and I found a facility to it came naturally, you know, the ability to memorize and perform and stuff. I just sort of found it a very powerful experience Um, and, and the best way to make friends really for me, it was the equivalent of being a a good jock, you know, really, I wasn't that great in sports. I played a lot of sports, but I was, I found that equivalent of teamwork through, uh, through theater and stuff like that when I was a kid. And so and that ebbed and flowed through my education. I wanted to be a, a vet. By the time I was uh, out of high school, hmm. I was really a big Jacques Cousteau fan. Like, I loved Jacques Cousteau when I was a kid. And I also loved uh, Mutual of Omaha, Wild Kingdom, you know, Marlon Perkins. And even then, I knew it was a hokey show, but I, I sort of just liked it. You know, that it was sort of presentational and interesting and goofy. And those kinds of guys really interested me a lot, and I, I didn't even know why really until later. I'll, I'll explain, but uh, but I wanted to be a vet, and I wanted to be a marine vet. And I didn't even know oh. if it existed, huh. so I worked for a veterinarian in in college. I went for a year at Rutgers College in Camden, New Jersey, which is not too far from where I grew up and uh, and quickly ran into the uh buzzsaw of chemistry and higher math and uh, and I was not you know I wasn't didn't come naturally and so um, in the middle of a day of working at the veterinary office that I was doing I was in surgery with a guy he said to me, uh, You might want to think about something else for a living.
2: <laughs> and oh, jeez!
0: I said, Well, you know, actually, I kind of like acting. And, and he said, Yeah, why don't you give that a thought? It wasn't because I was doing anything wrong, by the way. It was just a, a cumulative <laughs> this you know, just isn't working out here. So, <laughs> yeah, I, grabbing I the scalpel from me. Everybody um, else, but I think we've all been there. Uh, yeah, and uh, and those are those moments that you look back on, and your your entire life is defined for you in these little, you know, uh, cameos of of things. anyway, so I went to another college after that called Earlham College in Indiana, and then uh, during that two or two years, I was uh, strongly suggested to leave there as well. And uh, <laughs> but that was because my. Theater professor uh, recommended that I I study theater a little more intensively, and so I went to London actually on his recommendation. Oh wow! And uh, studied in London for a year and a half, and uh, had an extraordinary experience. Not so much because of the training, which I never understood. I never understood acting training. It was a always awkward experience for me. With I'm happy to discuss, but it's obscure stuff. Um, I did, however, love theater. I loved the history of theater. I loved the, the history behind the plays and. And that was a very chewy, interesting world to research and understand. And so I kind of found a little traction in that. I thought I might be a, a theater director for a while, but it would have required going back to school, which I didn't want to do. I was one of those kids that really should never have gone to college. I should have been one of those guys who joins the circus or or a rep company, if there was such a thing. And and there wasn't, you know, I, I was born in 1961 and then sort of hit my, you know, higher ed in the middle of the seventies. By that time we were all being brainwashed. I, in my opinion, on the value and importance of college, which, you know, is ironic because my father was a Dean of students at a state college. And he even told me that uh, he thought it was wrong that most kids, that so many kids were, were, sold that bill of goods. And, uh, and I was certainly one of those people. And he had supported me when I left college after three years, because it didn't fit into my, my personality at all. I was a worker, you know, I needed to work, I needed to be in the world and, and be dealing with people who were working. And that's a, a great regret of mine that I grew up in a society that had bought, you know, hook, line and sinker into this, this idea of, um, higher education being a must for everyone, I still feel that way.
2: Yeah, yeah I think there's it, still yeah. there's th- that uh, mindset must. is still yeah still yeah. I,
0: prevalent. I, Man, in their so defense crazy. or in, in 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 university and colleges' defense, I don't think there's an another uh, equivalent. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. Like there there isn't uh, an active world of of giving. You know, I, I think there could be created by the government, but it, it's not there now, and so. Yeah. Uh, most kids would be lost without that sort of structure. And I understand that, but I would have benefited for on another path, which I eventually found sort of on my own Mm -hmm. as happens through uh, going to summer stock and doing that kind of stuff and figuring things out. So I I was on a theater path for the longest time until I was in my late twenties when I finally realized that I I wanted to make a living (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) and I started to uh, uh, I had this inherent ability to, talk like a guy in a commercial i could just do it at party it was like Uh, a party game yeah you know i could pick something up and i had the cadence of how you say this about deodorant or something you know like i just knew how people did it It was probably just because i'd watched so much television when i was a kid i sort of memorized it
1: and natural uh, born narrator i mean yeah well it
0: wasn't so much that it was it was the ability to talk to a camera as if your friend Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and that's that's the natural thing that's required of that very unnatural act so when you walk into these, these auditions for commercials, which I did from like age 26 until probably 40 almost, um, I was one of those guys who had an unusually, uh, uh smooth ability to talk to a little, you know, puny little camera lens as if it was an important person in the world. And to do that unnatural thing as if it was, you know, it meant something to me.
1: Interesting. <laughs> wow. wow. And
0: so I made hundreds of commercials through through uh, the 90s and stuff. I was the sprint dime a minute guy for a while. I was the Oreo cookie <laughs> guy. I mean, it was really uh, absurd how many of these things I did. And I loved it. It was like a secret little game I was playing because I knew I was acting but I wasn't really acting. I didn't have to go through all those machinations that I learned in school. And, uh, and yet I was you know, able to show off and run the camera. And then I get paid for it, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. It was a union job. And I got a pension and health benefits and the whole thing. And I did that thinking I would do it for the rest of my life. And then the internet came along and changed everything. And no yes. longer were you able to, to have your agent call a casting director and say, you know that Oreo spot, that's Don's spot. He should be in that thing. And that's how it used to be done. The the internet came along and casting directors suddenly turned you into a little thumbnail uh, picture and you were sort of offered up to the industry in sums of hundreds and thousands of people that they could scroll through and, and click on them like, they, like you do in your photo app. Mm. So it all changed and, and suddenly I wasn't getting the work I used to be getting. And somewhere in the late 90s, I said, the hell with this. And I said to my best friend, I remember on the phone, I'm going to host TV <laughs> and I sort of announced this one day to him, and uh, and I did. I started to uh, talk to my agent, and, and I had certain connections, and And one thing led to the next. I ended up on ESPN on the Saturday morning in 1997 <clears throat> as a um, uh, host of Men's Journal, which was a, uh, <laughs> a very quick, uh, short-run job that was uh, an adaptation of the of the magazine which was kind of new and hip in those days mm-hmm. and uh and and it, i was basically the midlife crisis of the general manager of the of winter media which is the company that produced it and he would kind of come up with things he always wanted to do and sort of say send Don on that thing and i'd go you know ride in las vegas down the middle of the road on a on a bike and and i'd go you know fishing everywhere i fished like a madman from south america up to alaska wow
1: wow <laughs> it's just amazing awful. yeah
0: and that's where I, I i learned a that i could host television sort of and b that i was terrible at fishing and so i better not <laughs> go into fishing
2: <laughs> i couldn't catch just, anything just scratch that I off the list. god awful at fishing <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, was, it was terrible it was a joke and I, I would you know they would finally say oh let's just like do you have any sunnies or someplace like that you know, Don can just catch like crap fish out of the, out of a <laughs> pond and, and we do scenes like that. Cause I couldn't do anything else. That's funny. <laughs> oh my God. Find <laughs> the farm. But the irony, the, the irony was that I was always being, I was always being paired with the best fishermen in the world, you know, who developed a certain kind of line or, you know, some sort of, you know, special instrument to do this thing. And, uh, and I was never able to f- catch the fish, so they'd have to cut the show around my inabilities.
1: <laughs> well, okay, so so there—that's actually a question I have, real quick, if you don't mind. I, I, how did you feel, or or how do you think they looked at you in in that whole realm? I mean, here is guys that they make their, oh, their their profession at that. You know, you know, you know
0: what? The the one thing I took away from acting class and acting in general is that the prime skill set is is never being embarrassed. You know, like perfect. Yeah. They, yep. we literally had a I, I remember this from acting school. we had a, an exercise which was called the entrance and exit ex, uh, exercise and and all the students were sitting in a in a classroom it's kind of an old building and uh your whole job was to walk in the door in an interesting way and then n- and then leave the room in an interesting way and so everybody was sitting there and you would be immediately judged by whether you were interesting or not coming in the room. Jeez. And then the vice versa when you were leaving. And it was absolutely humiliating. Because Of course, who's interesting when they walk in a room? Like, who does that? <laughs> and who strikes the right balance between, you know, believable and, and screwing goofy
2: it up? Goofy or something.
0: Yeah, goofy. And yeah. so you're constantly being judged. The real message of the, of the lesson was get ready because you are going to be humiliated by this business every day of your life. And if you're not able to handle that egotistically or whatever the word is you don't have the spine for that forget going into this business so every day is like that i feel that way now i I mean you just prepare yourself for the fact that you're just going to fall flat on your face and then pick yourself up and do it again Mm -hmm. and that's my whole career it really is
1: wow that's great yeah and they probably couldn't get anybody to show up for you know get ready to be humiliated like that's not name of a class that's not gonna get you anywhere you know it's
0: the opposite of of what you think it is truly because you know the the end product of of my work is the result of really skilled editors and producers and people putting together a lot of rough footage that we do on the road for the most part uh into something that's very coherent and cool and hopefully sexy looking or you know complimentary anyway you know that's a lot of people's work involved my part of this is to give you you know as much um believable footage and naturalistic tone, whatever you call it. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm supposed to do. So my, my entire career is reliant on other people's work. Um, So I, I, the onus is off of me actually to worry too much about it and to sort of just do it, you know, is, is yeah. kind of what you, what you learn to, to do and not too many businesses give you that, that uh, luxury. Yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah. No, that's interesting. And, and I guess the, the question I have around that, if you don't mind is, so, you know, you explained the background, of course, you answered some of our questions here, you know, how you got to point A to point B and now, of course, you know, travel channel and now, you know, the world of, you know, your monumental mysteries and your world travels and, and your mm-hmm. mysteries, of the museum, were you always, did that help hone or make the adventure for you a little bit better because of what you were Definitely. involved in or was that always there?
0: Wait, I don't understand the question exactly. Started what What helped it?
1: Well, so these shows you were in, like, were they more molded towards you? You picked oh, these okay, up. Yeah. okay.
0: Well, know. now there's a different, now there's a change that I haven't really discussed. Mm. Um, by dumb luck, I ended up, um, after having hosted a show called Weird Travels for a long time, uh, Weird Travels was kind of in the pocket of what I expected of my career. It's sort of, you know, I'd look good on camera and and sort of be sort of interesting and mysterious. And in this show, I was merely the int- the presenter of ghost stories. And I would then sort of fizzle out on camera. Like a, I, like I was the ghost. It was all based on that hitchhiker TV show that was on for a while. And I would walk up to camera and give it my little grovelly voice and stuff like that. And, uh, and that show went for two or three years. And it was, uh, as far as I understood my career at that point, that was kind of what I would do, you know, like pretty boy stuff. And, and uh, dependent on sort of a charismatic look to the camera, you know, that was it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I was fingers crossed. I hope I was. I got married during that period, and I thought, oh, this poor woman. I'm, <laughs> I have no idea if I'm gonna gonna make it in this business based on this persona that I'm creating. And so, in the middle, when that was over, um, there was another show that that same production company was doing, and it involved the fact that Istanbul, which was kind of where they were at, was being excavated for a new subway system. And uh, mm. in the course of that, we're talking about two thousand four, five, and six at that time frame, in the course of that excavation, they were discovering all these old Roman um spaces and stuff like the cisterns and things like that and and they just couldn't make the subway line work because they just had to stop and archaeologically excavate the whole thing and it was this fascinating turn of events for this particular uh couple who was the production mm. company mm. and their dear friends of mine, and I said to them uh geez, I want to host that show. You know, I think I have a, a, a kind of, I'd love to dig around underground. I'd love to see what's underground. If you need somebody to do this, I'm the guy. And they would, they said, we would love to work with you, but the ca- but the production company, no, the, the network, History Channel, thinks you're too clean cut. They think you're too you're too pretty guy, you know, because I had done so many commercials and I'd done this other thing. And and I was and they were right. I mean, there was nothing about me that was any kind of history expert or or, you know, believable on camera to be an explorer. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of shrugged and said, you're right, and walked away with my tail between my legs. About six months later, the pilot for that show aired and I watched it in my living room in Los Angeles. And the guy they hired instead of me was indeed exactly what they were looking for. He was rough around the edges. He was a comic. He wasn't a, a, a professional historian or anything like that. Hmm. But he had the look, and he was he cussed a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was just hard to take. And and they liked that because they thought that was going to attract a, a demo that they were looking for—a younger demo. History t- television, just to say in general, is totally paranoid of ever getting anyone younger than fifty to watch it. You know, so that's just the theme of that line of work right right so they were trying to get somebody who would attract the 30 something person anyway uh, long story short and i won't go into it because it's it's uh, there's some bad stuff that happens oh, uh he was not uh, they wanted to change horses in midstream and so they called me secretively and said would you want to do this job and i <laughs> said absolutely and and so they just needed somebody to cover the last five shows of his contract and i said sure wow. i needed money and i was uh, desperate for for a job and so I flew out and literally uh, wore the clothes he was the wardrobe they had in his hotel room and uh, and <laughs> wow. I finished that show out and in the middle of those five shows maybe even in the first show I did I did something that was spontaneous on camera that the network saw in one of the rough pieces that came back to them and they said oh gosh he can really you know he can relate to the camera is basically what they were saying and that's what they had been looking for and so we got renewed based on that that little snippet that they saw which was great and the second season got better the production company figured it out more and uh and we had this great gimmick in that show which if anybody ever saw the old version of cities in the underworld there was this trick shot that they used to do bombastic music it was just a crazy idea every time i would go into a a tunnel or a cave or something there would be this moment where the camera would leave the upper, upper world and go into the underworld and what it really was, if you ever look at it again, if you're that interested, uh, it was a tiny six-foot crane that they would just build every time out of a box. And they put the little camera at the end of it, and they'd lower it from the sky to behind a gravestone or a rock oh, or some wow. black surface. And that would be the upstairs. And then that same crane would be un- taken apart and taken downstairs into the cave or wherever we were and they'd shoot from the sailing down, ceiling down to the floor of there, and they'd put them together, and then they'd run the music, and that would be the the magic shot that took you into the underworld. That was the entire – really, That is I,
1: hilarious. I didn't even know. I owe
0: my entire career to that goofy shot because it was really <laughs> exciting for the audience to see this world above suddenly become this world below, and it was really neat.
3: Wow. I do remember that. Um, and also, so speaking of cities of the underworld, like uh, – do you guys face a lot of challenges uh, getting into some of the places you're trying to go to? Yes. Like I noticed this season, there's quite a fair amount of stuff filmed in Turkey, yep. which is uh, not always friendly to like journalists and, and production crews and stuff like that. So,
0: well, we had the advantage there of the production company is called Karga seven films and Karga means crow in Turkish ah. because the half of that production company, Emre Shaheen is A Turkish American guy. His mom's American, his dad Turkish, and so he grew up in Istanbul. So that company is already a Turkish company. So we were we were behind the wall already. So whatever resistance we would have met was was already taken care of. Plus we were out in the nowheresville, so it didn't really matter anyway. Because there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, that's a very interesting question that has to do that takes me into the nooks and crannies and underworlds of making TV, which is its own kind of daily adventure uh not only not always pleasant usually a pain in the ass um involving lots of boring time of figuring things out behind the scenes mm-hmm. some resistance there's one really good story i can tell about <clears throat> uh shooting in romania oh, and wow. we were shooting a scene um about this amazing place truly a, a, a moving experience because it was a, a bunker system that had been created by um the Russians, the Soviets uh, along the edge, along the coast of the black sea, black sea, right? Yeah. Black. And, um, and it was this state of the art bunker system with truly incredible stuff in it for the time. And they were ready for the attack that they knew was coming from the Germans by way of the black sea. And this bunker system uh, still exists. I forget what it's called now, Um, but it was pancaked. It had been so badly destroyed that all the floors had fallen onto themselves there were and there were just a bunch of spaces you could crawl into some tunnels some bunker systems you could walk through but at some point deep below one of the bombs i guess yeah bombs um no it was a missile what do you call it i'm sorry the the the, like a torpedo or something no it had been fired from a from a a ship i guess um oh yeah okay (laughs) Yeah, like an artillery round. Yeah, one of the artillery was in, uh, had not exploded. And so it was an unexploded uh, um, shell. Thank you. That's the word I was looking Mm. for. a shell that was deep down below. And nobody, I mean, people obviously knew it was there from some other time, but they hadn't told us. And so we were crawling around and suddenly I'm on top of this unexploded shell that's sitting down at the bottom of this basement. Anyway, that's beside the point except to say that it was a really fascinating place to go, <laughs> but as we we're breaking for lunch, we came upstairs and there was this whole train of cars coming up the road from the nearby city. And our 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 fixer said who was Romanian said, "Oh no." And he knew what was happening because this speaks to the present circumstance that that uh, you Sorry, it was not Romania, it was Ukraine. It was Ukraine that we were in. Sorry, we were in Ukraine. And um and it was on yeah, it was on sorry, I'm getting my whole geography mixed up. It was Ukraine. And so the the people that were coming out were Russian um you know, Russian Ukrainians and they were pissed that this American mm. crew was up at this precious place cuz uh, a lot yeah. of people had been buried yeah. in this in yeah. this site. Yeah. And they were mad because they knew that we were going to, you know, exploit this, this precious uh, sacred site of theirs. It wasn't made into any kind of memorial, by the way. It was just sort of out there in the middle of, uh, of this field. And they came up and they were loaded for bear. There was nothing dangerous happening, but they were ready to have a fight. And um, and we had to sort of talk them off the edge through the through the fixer and assure them that despite the fact that we were Americans, we were here to honor the dead and to honor these people. And in fact, Mm -hmm. we ended up doing a a sort of ritual with them to say goodbye to these guys. Oh, wow. You know, there's all these kinds of things that happen in your day to day life, most of which are really kind of banal and and ordinary, but they all sort of represent the same problem, which is it's really hard to reproduce these places when you're doing something that's supposed to be sort of spontaneous because. Mm -hmm you don't want to get it all sort of nailed down. You want things to happen that you want to explore and stuff, but that frequently gets you into the other side of the problem, which is um, unforeseen, you know,
1: obstacles. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's amazing. And and I think we're, we're going to take a quick break here, if you don't mind, Dom. But uh, no. I was going to ask you in that, because w- we did a, a Patreon special uh, in regards to the catacombs. And I know that in Ukraine, there's a, a, just a vast, vast underground system of catacombs. Was it mm-hmm. was it part of that? Do you know? Or is that something that was separate? Are you
0: in Kiev? Or are you talking about?
1: Uh, I think just outside of. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's an incredible catacomb in, in Kiev. Mm-hmm. The sweating skulls. Did you talk about that?
1: uh i don't don't know do we talk about that i don't think
0: guys there is a phenomenal uh, thing that happens in there's a a a catacomb with you know lots of bones and stuff in it Mm -hmm. and there's this one place where these beautifully almost polished looking skulls are there and one of them constantly sweats Hmm. and they can't figure out why chemically it would do that and there's no sort of atmospheric reason why it would be doing that and so it's become this sort of I don't know if it's a saint himself, but uh, you know one of these yeah. objects. Anyway, yeah, under just, Kiev, there's tons of stuff, and you know most of these European cities have tunnel systems of one kind or another. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. 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 Outstanding. Is that? Ju- is it just the one skull that does that?
0: As like, I recall, we're talking mm-hmm. about 2008 here, so this is a yeah. long time ago. But uh, but yeah, there was a. It was a whole beautiful system. You know, th- we could do a whole show on the Kiev russia thing you know because it's so present and so interesting um uh and this kind of catacomb was was very sort of emblematic of the uh the sort of glories of ukraine Mm -hmm. and what that place really is about that americans have no clue and unless they go there, I'm sure there's a lot who have, but, uh, you know, the, the Russian story really begins in Ukraine. You know, that's the, be, that's the yeah. beginning of, yeah. of, uh, Russia. And so yeah. Moscow was just a, you know, a hunting camp up the, up the river.
1: Isn't that and, crazy? Um, Ukraine's been yeah. pulled in so many directions for centuries. It, it just, Oh my God, you know.
0: it's amazing. I love yeah. Ukraine. I, I loveliest people I've ever met in my life. Uh, just beautiful people, you know, physically speaking, they're just gorgeous yeah. people. And the country is a gorgeous place and and the Crimea, which is totally, you know, the whole thing that happened with Putin moving in on annexing Crimea made sense to me, not that I'm defending it, but I just to understand what happened when we were there in 2008, the entire Russian Navy was in Sevastopol, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that is mm-hmm. the Russian Navy's base. So you kind of go, and it always was, and and I think they were renting it from them ever since the fall of the Soviet union. They were just sort of there still, you know, it had never moved. Right. So their presence is extremely obvious. There's huge statues. I mean, mammoth statues uh, to lost Russian soldiers in Sebastopol. You know, it's just a major Russian place. Wow. Uh. So it, it kind of, one of the things that we did there was we were uh, investigating a, um, a bunker system that had been built in, in, um, the cold war meaning probably the fifties or so uh, that was there for vacationing Politburo members because the mm. Crimea was where everybody went to. It's like the Hamptons, you know, it was like a, a place that you go to if you were in the Politburo and vacation among your own. And, uh, and if there was going to be a nuclear attack, they all had that place to go. So there was this mile long tunnel system with theaters and everything else inside of it. It was really outfitted for, for a luxury life. Um Somewhere nearby, uh, the battlefield of the Light Brigade, <laughs> you know, the Charge wow. of the Light Brigade. That same place um, had this famous bunker system, which, when we went there, had been totally stripped out. And what it had been the reason it was stripped out was that the uh, the locals had sold it to the Russian mafia. Who had come in and made millions of dollars, taking all the lead out of the walls, off the walls, and to stripping the whole thing down? So it was this derelict space in there. But that's how, at home, the Soviet Union was in that particular place, the Crimea, mm-hmm. Sevastopol, and uh, and therefore how natural it is to that for them to think of that as theirs, you know. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of history there. Yeah. yeah,
1: a yeah, lot of, of things yeah, you got to I mean, see for if sure. I
3: remember right? Uh, Khrushchev gave the Crimea to Ukraine or sorry to Russia, but he was Ukrainian. I get that backwards all the time. Oh, Um, I seriously. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of like when they were annexing the Crimea, uh, a lot of, a lot of the talking heads in the media, at least were like, well, actually technically it's kind of theirs. Like Khrushchev gave it to him, um, back in the fifties or whatever. And Uh also if I remember right, it was, uh, one of the like, uh, primary centers of activity during the uh revolution in uh Hmm. like the early 1900s 1917
0: sure it was a big Um, hot place
3: yeah
0: i think what i'm trying to say i guess if i can go general here is is that there's always this other side of the story you know there's always this broader story that history tells and and it you know, here we, we're talking for five minutes. We're already into something really complicated. That's how exciting it is to me when, when I learn about this stuff. When I'm in one of these scenes and and in these places, it just blows my mind. You know, and and I don't know why I care. I don't know what the puzzle that I'm interested in really is, yeah. but it it really does turn me on. And. And I I wish for most people that they had that same experience. That's my genuine desire is that they should feel so excited about the idea that history is really this puzzle. It's so fun. It's a jigsaw puzzle. And the more you put together more pieces, the more satisfying it becomes. And it just frustrates me to no end to see the news, the siloed media we live with today who just trounce on the same old crap all the time. Mm-hmm. And they just beat these stories to death. I don't care which side you're on. As I said before, it's it's both parties are guilty mm-hmm. and they yeah. they just Agreed. keep trading on the same old, same old, same old. And I'm like, if you just talked about the history for five minutes here, it would enlighten this entire thing up and put new air into this deal. Yeah. But they never do.
1: They, they don't. I think a lot of it is because, you know, they don't really care either. You know, there's some people that just kind of put blinders on and, you know that's what they do and and it's so complicated they don't have time to get into it they don't you know they have other things well, they literally on, have you know
0: data readings that uh, tell them when the new, when the viewership goes up and down i yeah, mean it, it's oh, literally yeah, yeah it's yeah. so it's carefully done nowadays yeah. that it's it's boring actually yeah, but people but
2: it, like it, yeah. to stay in their echo chambers they do yeah they, they like absolutely absolutely do any of that
0: it's yeah. amazing
2: um,
1: yeah but um uh but we're going to take a quick break and then John when you come back you got your question uh if you don't mind Don, stand by with us and uh we'll Please. be back in a little bit
0: four five open the gates
1: all right and we're back with don wildman uh sorry john i, I think i'm gonna cut you off did you you were gonna no, I was,
2: something i was gonna leave, give it off to josh <laughs> i was just gonna say yeah. like I, I love kiev and kiev and russia is probably my favorite place i've ever been and when you were saying those deep tunnels, like the subway system in Kiev, mm-hmm. I remember going down one giant long escalator, hitting a flat, going down another giant escalator. I'm like, "Where the hell are we going?" Yeah. And, crazy. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of. Off Did subject, you go to but, Moscow? But, Did you do that in Moscow? I, yeah, I've been to Moscow a couple times. Crazy. Couple
0: times. I have this great, a really cool story. So, um, uh, so I was a friend of the the son of the ambassador to Moscow. And when I was in acting school in London, I got invited for Christmas and uh, this is 1983. How was that? Yeah. 1983 (laughs) was a really bad time. That was when the cruise missiles had been put in by Reagan. Yeah. And, um, and that Christmas was uh, a lockdown for the, for the Soviets. They weren't talking to anybody. They weren't coming to any of the parties. And on the diplomatic level, that's really bad. Like normally these people actually do associate and talk, regardless of world events this was like totally weird and so i arrived in the middle of this uh this crazy time and i had to be snuck in on the basis of the fact that i was a blood relative which i was not and they lied to me and uh, they lied to the to the people and said that he was and so i was allowed to come into the country and when i got there the first day the uh assistant to the ambassador guy named tom said to me um you have to understand it was really hard to get your ticket but the ambassador wants to extend your ticket because they want you to stay for the uh, New Year's Eve party, which was sort of legendary. The, the American New Year's Eve party was really a big deal in Moscow. And so I was like, okay, sure. I. I was a 20-year-old kid, whatever. And, uh, and they said, but you have to go down. This is pre-computers and all that. So he said, you have to go down the British Air Office and in person and get a sticker put onto your ticket. So here's the ticket. Don't lose it. Incredibly hard to get another one. And here's a map book to show you where you're going. And the map book was a CIA published map book because the Soviet Union considered oh, maps to be classified. Yeah. And so the map book was a spiral bound thing. It was kind of loosely spiral bounded. And, uh, and weirdly, they told me, go ahead and do this on your own. And I was like, I'd been there for a couple of days and I was sort of anxious. I was really anxious. It, it, it was a very, I was way out of my depth socially. <laughs> like yeah. These people were very well educated and I was just some schlumpy uh, acting student from London. You know, so I was like nervous as all get up to to even have a conversation with anybody. So I was really happy to leave on my own and get out. And, uh, and I walked out of the embassy residence, which is called Spaso House, beautiful uh, ex-nobleman's place and still the ambassador residence in, in Moscow. And I walked to one of those gigantic escalator systems. And yeah. uh, I got on this escalator. It, they just are a mile down. I so, can't f- believe so far, so it's far. the weirdest thing. Yeah. I mean, Maybe D.C. has some of these very deep ones now, too, but that's about as close as you can get in the States. It's really another level altogether. Anyway, so I get on this, this thing and it's rush hour in, in Moscow and it's freezing cold. It's the middle of you know December. And, uh, and I get on this thing and I open up this book to look where I'm going. And the ticket comes right out of the side of the book. Because I sort of flopped it open in my hand, and the ticket comes right outside of me, and f- makes a beeline and goes right down the side of the steps
2: <laughs> uh, my in luck. the
0: escalator. Uh,
1: in oh my one
0: God. minute, in oh one minute, God. I had lost the ticket that was told no. to me. Do not lose this ticket; it will be really hard to get. A new one. <laughs> I was mortified, <laughs> and I stood there, and I was like, and then I'm on this forever escalator going. What? the f- How am I going to do? What is? What yeah. do I do? And I'm panicking very quietly. You know, I tried to jump, I was down on my knees, trying to sort of get it with my fingertips, and it was gone. And this woman behind me says, what's wrong in English to me? Oh, And it's not like today, if you go to Europe, everybody speaks English, Mm. or even probably Moscow, everybody speaks English. It was pretty unusual in those days. Mm -hmm. And she was also dressed really well. Like she had a sable on and stuff like that, and that was very unusual too. And I said, oh my God, I just, I lost my ticket. And she says, hmm. And we get to the bottom of the escalator and she talks to the uh, babushka who's in the in the glass booth, you know, watching people go by and uh, and the babushka, the old woman. That's what that is. And she and her talk for a bit. And the two of them leave me behind. I'm standing there panicking and they walked around on the platform to this little office and then disappear And then a few minutes later, three people, her, the babushka, and the station manager comes out in his overalls. And the three of them walk past me. He goes to a door, opens up the door, walks under the escalator, and has the entire escalator shut down. Like everybody's on the escalator. Boom. It all just stops. And this is a huge mechanism. And he's gone for about 30 seconds. He comes out, and he has my ticket in his hand. Oh, wow. And it's covered in grease. It's gone through the works and everything. And he hands it to me. And they both nod their heads and I can't believe my luck. (laughs) And then I'm standing there literally looking to see if it was sort of damaged. And I look up and she's gone. And I see her down there on the platform and I walk up to her and I said, what was that? How did you do it? And she says, I cannot talk to you and gets on the train and leaves. So
2: that is crazy.
0: No, fast forward. An hour later, I return with my ticket stub uh, stuck with the thing, the sticker on there. And I walk into the place and all the families and everybody are sitting around having their holiday lunch. And the mother, who is Donna, says, how did it go? And I said, this is what happened. And I tell the story and they fall out with laughing because it was explained to me that was my KGB follower whose job it was to (laughs) to make sure that I would never deal with anybody in public. And she was tailing me from the moment I left the uh, the house and making sure that I would never talk to anybody along the way.
1: <laughs> that wow. is amazing. That's, that's all my the... <laughs> subway
0: story. My non-televised subway story.
1: I don't think anybody has a better subway story than that. Personally. Maybe. <laughs> nah, I don't know.
2: <laughs> I definitely don't. <laughs> I've right. seen a lot of big rats in New York, but that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was at red square once after a show and we got told we couldn't go down the street and I was just like, why can't we go down that street let's just go down there and our our handler guy was like no we just go down this street instead he's yeah like, yeah yeah like that's kgb and then we were up on the bridge and all of a sudden there was just a uh putin's uh god why can't i think of it His- just like the train of cars coming out yeah the, the, whole, the whole parade and i was like of, oh yeah. okay he's like yeah that was kgb that just told us like to fuck off and go yeah. somewhere. <laughs> exactly yeah <else." laughs> <That's laughs> exactly Oh, you know,
0: man. I will name drop right now. My dear friend, do you remember from Anthony Bourdain, uh, when they went to Russia or anywhere like Slavic countries, Zamir Gata, Zamir was his, his sidekick
1: bell. Yeah. I watched a lot of Anthony Bourdain love what he did.
0: Yeah. yeah Zamir was his, his sort of best friend and they, they did a lot of shows together. Zamir was also our fixer in, in Moscow in those days. Oh. And he would, he's a, a friend of mine to this day. And, uh. And he would tell me how difficult it was to fix in, in Moscow. You really, really had to know people and you really had to understand the lay of the land and the politics behind it, which speaks yeah. to what we were saying before. You know, there's a trick to this kind of business and, and you really have to know how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And the producers who didn't know that were always the ones that were, you know, falling on their face and getting that panicked look on their face because they couldn't make the, the, the ends come together. You yeah. know, the, the good ones and, could do
1: that, and it amazed me too because you know obviously you've got money behind that, and so I'm I'm sure mm-hmm. in that position all you can see is just all that washed away. You know, if something doesn't come together, yes, know, so. yes,
0: much much cash is is exchanged.
1: Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. I so Don, we're looking at the time. Are you still okay with time? Is that all right? We want yeah, to be I'm respectful. Fine. I, oh, as okay. I said
0: to okay. you, I, I can talk <laughs> forever, so feel free.
1: Well, I I think number one, you know, amazing stories, and and I. So I, of course we have some questions and Josh, you know, you've got a few on your side. I, I just got one really just, I'm more curiosity than anything. So you've got, I mean, a plethora of just adventures and things underneath your belt that you've seen or researched yeah. maybe even, you know, because you, you're know, something you want to do it, it, and this may be impossible to do for you, but is there one or two that just stood out in, mm. in history in general where you went, damn, I cannot believe that's how that happened. I can't believe that's, yeah, a, that's a thing. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I can go on and on about this. <laughs> I mean, there weren't too many days where I didn't have some extraordinary thing happen on, on any one of these shows. You know, the, the the bad days, I'll get to your answer in a, in a moment. The bad days were the hokey days, you know, where mm-hmm. you were stuck in a tourist environment and trying to make it look like it wasn't a tourist environment or something like that. But by and large, because of the nature of the show, I would end up in pretty spontaneous and creatively historic, you know, opportunities and stuff. And the, the ones that jumped to mind are, are always things that are connected to larger stories that they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So not only were they physical uh, experiences, explorations that were sort of amazing, all of us, as we did them or I did on my, alone, on my own, but they were always kind of the connecting points of, of stories that... Um, i hadn't you know understood before we'd done this the one that jumps to mind is in israel first of all i'll I'll do three of these things (laughs) okay um one of them is is a place called akko um also called akra back in the medieval times and crusader times it's uh it's near haifa it's the northern part of israel and first of all i want to say um i'm not jewish but Israel is one of the most precious places I've ever been in my life. It was a, an amazing place that ought to be on everyone's list, if you want to, you know, say you were here on planet Earth right. or at least in Western civilization. Wow, um, Israel's uh, top of the list. So, uh, Akko is a fascinating, multi-layered place. Meaning, it was uh, first sort of well, there was a settlement there obviously beforehand with the Greeks and all the rest of that. But, but uh, at some point, Crusader armies came down on their way to jerusalem thousand you know that period of time and uh and and they conquered and then had to retreat and their their last retreat was to this area called acco and there at least the the french the hospitaliers um built a castle there and uh and i think the the teutonic the teutons were there as well and it was kind of like a berlin you know back in the world war two where they divided the town up and You guys get this part and we'll take this part. Mm -hmm. And they built this castle. Then hundreds of years go by and the Ottomans come along and they, they conquer everything. And they look at this castle system and they're like, screw these guys. And they fill it all in. They just dump everything in there and they basically create a foundation and a new foundation underneath of the one they want to build, which is the Ottoman empire level. So that first castle situation is now the foundation for the Ottoman castles. Hundreds of years go by. Uh, it's World War I period. The Ottomans, the Turks join the wrong side. They lose. Uh, and I'm sorry, the world, yeah. <laughs> what doing? Somewhere in there. The Turks lose. And the British move in after them. I'm sorry, World War II. Mm-hmm. So the British move in after them, and they create their system on top of the Ottoman Empire creation. So there's a three-level wow. um, uh, sort of topography there. And at some point in the 90s, people started to realize that their floors were connected to this crusader tunnel system. And because there was sort of tourism happening in this area that hadn't happened before, hotel people were, you know, people were creating hotels out of these townhouses and stuff like that. And so we went down into one of these places. We were shooting this place. It was a big archaeological dig. It wasn't like it was any new discovery. They fully excavated this beautiful castle down below but we, i i was out on the streets with the camera crew and we we're just doing sort of interstitial stuff and one of these um, uh hotel guys comes up to me and says you want to see the real thing and i said yeah and so we go down the street and we walk into his basement and we walk down a, sta- a set of stairs and there is a hole in the ground and you can crawl down into that place and look through a hole and there you're in the 12th i guess the the, the 12th century would that be or the 11th century i think it was wow was a castle with just the top of the door there and then there was all this rubble that the that would have been what the turks had had thrown in there Mm -hmm. and so i was going to crawl into that space and the guy was like no you can't do that you know that he was the head archaeologist uh not only would i be you know doing his job for him but also there's Mm -hmm. gases that come from places that haven't been opened up yet and you might run into some of that gas and, and end up being a problem so we didn't do that. So it was just an amazing experience of uh, the cross-section of, of what we were. I mean, that was what the whole show was about, and it was like a home run for, for doing that day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it showed me that, you know, what we learned over and over again, that history is just built on top of each other. It was easier to do that than bulldoze anything away. They didn't have bulldozers back then, so they just kept filling th- things in and building yeah. on top of it. So yeah. that was a great example. Wow. The other wow. one, if you want me to go on, Oh yes, please was a really big story for me, which was Ethiopia. Um, also not the time to go there now. It's a, there's a civil war going on, but eventually that will calm down and you're young people, you should go there and, uh, and see this place. It's, a, it's one of the most beautiful countries on earth. It's an incredibly diverse nation of all kinds of different sort of ecosystems and so forth. Um, it's a huge place, for one thing, but uh, this, the north is where I went to, and that was called Tigray, which is really the, the heart of the problem these days politically. Um, but there's an area, uh, 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 these sort of red rock mountains that are in the top of Tigray, right in the middle of Tigray. And on the top of those mountains are 129 rock, uh, hand-carved churches, which are literally hewn out of the rock at the top. They're dug out and, and then painted and so they're sort of decoratively made spaces that exist all along. And no, I don't think it's a particular system where they are, as far as the distance from one, one another. But there's a lot of them, and what they are, what they represent, was a a moment in the history of Christianity when there was this fork in the road where where the decisions were being made uh, of the nature of Christ. You know, whether he was a man who was who became divine. Or was he just a divine creature who came and, and in the form of a man? And that, that right. discussion was happening back in the, I don't know, three, four hundreds or something like that. And, and it was up there in Istanbul and Constantinople was being discussed. And so when they finally decided on, on the answer to that problem, everybody who wasn't on the right side became heretics. And those heretics split town because they had to get out before they were burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of those people came to Ethiopia because Ethiopia was already a Jewish area because of its, you know, the connection to the Holy Land and all that sort of thing. So there was already a Judeo part of the Judeo-Christian thing happening. And they came down, they started the Ethiopian uh, Orthodox Church. And that whole thing with the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff that's, you know, sort of legendary about Ethiopia has its uh, real roots in that story. And those carved churches are all built by those early saints, those early guys who came and, and had to find a, a safe place to practice. And so it becomes a yeah. sort of alternative church in those days. And, and it's, it's you can see it in those church spaces.
1: Well, well, and so, that's yeah. I was going to ask you that. So, with Ark of the Covenant, and you, you, you've read my mind. I mean, you know, there's there. What do you think the basis for that is? And and I hear that the, the Ethiopia really might be the the motherland to where that might set.
0: Oh, it is the motherland. It truly is. Yeah. I mean, and uh, and and it's the pure. It's one of the purest forms of Christianity in the world. I mean, really, uh, it's a it's an extraordinary study to make of the place and it's it's very active like all these sites that you go to there um in in axum and uh places that you can go and see these places are all very active religious sites they're very passionate about it uh the ark of the covenant is is a relevant thing because um it's more symbolic of that uh Origin story and the fact that they are very very serious about it. There is, of course, we've seen it on every freaking one of us. Josh Gates has done his his show. I've done my show. Everybody's done their show on, on Axum and standing outside the gates of this this compound where this guy lives his entire life, protecting that church that has the Ark of the Covenant within it. Mm -hmm. When you ask anybody, is it really in there? They all sort of you know roll their eyes and say, "Who knows?" And probably not. And but it's the fact that they the sort of ritualistic attitude towards this the belief, is obviously. the is the yeah. important of and and the fact is every one of these churches that is created there um these rock churches are they all have the holy of holies space within it which is where they have their quote-unquote ark of the covenant within it's not you know obviously it's not but uh it's not even meant to be that one but it's it's this symbol it's this idea yeah. that that Christianity have has real roots in this place, and, and that's undeniable.
1: Wow, interesting. Ah, amazing.
0: I, I have to tell you, before we go, I'll tell you, I have only scratched the surface. You know, <laughs> in what I've done, I, every my manager, people tell me, Oh, you got to write a book or you got to write these things. And I'm like, Write a book. You know, I, I barely learned anything. <laughs> I've been doing this for 25 years. I barely learned what I need to learn. I'm still telling the same old stories over and over again. Every time I went out, it was like, how much do you have to learn to actually know anything for real? That's the real sense of, of humility that I have in this business. And, and I think there was something useful to that in terms of, you know, creating a persona that people enjoy watching. Cause I'm mm-hmm. genuinely curious and genuinely awed, but maybe for some of the wrong reasons, cause I just feel like I will never get there. You know, I, I uh, it, it's just this insanely deep and never ending story as to why people have done what they've done, and why they've created these systems to live within, and these these gigantic uh, societies that um, have come and gone, it 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 moves me to the point of tears. I'm not kidding. I mean, it's wow. just I sit there and look at the books that I have on my bookshelf, and there's just endless ones that, that I will never read, and it's just you know I'm going to die feeling this way. I know it. Yeah. I used to have a college professor in that school that I went to in Indiana. Who was an english professor and the man would never be seen without a book he was like what the hell is this problem he would literally stop teaching and sit down and start reading and he'd read across the campus and and he finally made a speech where he you know calculated how much he would be able to read in his lifetime and why it mattered to him because he was this passionate reader and he had to read everything and he knew that he would die without having read like a tenth of what was in barely
2: the, anything
0: anything yeah. And I feel somewhat the same way about history. You know, like yeah. I so deeply desire to understand it and connect it all together and I know I never will. <laughs> yeah.
1: That that yeah. absolutely is amazing. And and you know, and I wish more people really would at least have an inkling of thinking like that, because you know, history it is it's man, it's our platform. It it you know, it 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 what what's and I don't know how you feel about the whole phrase, you know, history repeats itself, but you know, and in reality we're we're humans, it it will, it does, it has. You know, yeah. and, and it's just amazing where we're this snippet of where we're at now, you know, as weird as it sounds, is going to go down in history. It's going to be a thing, you, you know?
0: Yeah. It just it's not going to be pretty either. It's no. not. It's not.
2: Uh, <laughs> it's not. What what part of history that you would say that's been unanswered? Mm. What 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 part of that history would you want to be answered?
0: Oh, gosh. Um you mean for me personally or for yeah, the world Yeah, yeah, for you. Know?
2: you per- no, just for you personally. Like, the, um, what, what mystery is out there th- in history that you're like, what in the hell?
0: Oh, yeah, I care about this country. I really do. I, you know, I'm very, first of all, it's an overwhelming idea, as I've tried to express. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I just give up to the fact that I'm not going to ever get there with the world, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, as far as American history goes, this whole era of civil war to now is is so connected so organically you know and and when you just start getting into there a little bit this way and that way it's it's really um there's just a lot that people don't know you know there's just a ton of stuff that has happened in every era that uh deserves to be out there and we will never really get there and i've tried to i i had this really great feeling one time i i did a a speech in illinois for a tourism group and uh, the governor was there. It was a kind of high minded uh, event. And um, they asked me to speak on anything I wanted to. And I I decided to speak on the white city, you know, the origins of the white city, the the whole thing that happened, the first the world's fair in. Oh yeah. 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 90 or something like that, whenever that was. And, 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 it was such an interesting experience for me just as a public speaker, because I had been sort of stuck in painted myself in this corner of having to do a certain kind of speech. And, and, and it was the worst placement. I had to do those sort of wrap up. Thanks for coming folks speech on Saturday morning after they'd partied the night before. Oh, jeez! <laughs> and, and I was like, this is going to go bad. And so I tried to make it as visual as possible. And I tried to do this. And in the middle of this really, tough uh experience professional experience i realized i had them in my you know i like an actor i had them in my palm of my hand they were really fascinated by the story of the white city and and i had been explaining to them the origins of the idea and why this had happened in their own state this was in springfield illinois but it happened in chicago and and i walked away from the speech which was you know I, I don't know if I got a stand, standing ovation but I got a rousing applause afterwards and I realized oh my god I've got a real opportunity here this is a, a story that needs to get out and I need to do this more and so I started to research Washington DC as an uh, as an as a descendant of the white city like the designs of the white city basically oh. were one of the thing, building blocks to why they redid washington dc as it is today uh from the lessons learned at this place and the relationship between those two events was so deep and had such a uh, an integral part of why washington dc is the way it is and i i was lost after a while the way i sound right now like oh my god where is this going and i finally decided to tell the story of the lincoln memorial because that was kind of the end result, literally the end of the of the National Mall and how they created recreated the National Mall in the nineteen hundreds based on the fact that they wanted this memorial to Lincoln. Well, Lincoln's r- memorial is related to the unification story of the south north the north and South, which is part of the um, you know the story of the monuments that have has become so controversial, and that whole period of of Jim Crow and it's just wild when you go down the the rabbit hole how related all this stuff is and it's real it's not f- making stuff up this is documented real stuff that stuff is what we're talking about today like yeah. it's if you don't understand it you don't understand what we're talking about today mm-hmm. and that's the truth of our lives and so I'm interested in the civil war to get back to your original question because it laid the groundwork this country didn't exist until the civil war <laughs> Mm-hmm. I hate to say it. There's great ideals written out in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, but we did not find our footing until the Civil War. And it's and that's the basis of this country at this point in my life. And so to understand uh, my life, our lives, to understand the Civil War and the repercussions of that and the U-turns from what we, you know, from the victory to whatever. you know, There's all kinds of navigations that happen throughout all that period of time is the United States of America. You know, and I, and I don't understand it well enough.
1: Wow. That's amazing. And, it, you know, and I think in our line of work, too, you know, this podcast, it, you know, it's a fine line between, you know, trying to uh, decipher fact versus conspiracy, you know, and it seems like yes. it's, it's getting worse in certain realms, you know, so so it's really tough. And and yeah, yeah that's amazing. I think there's something amazing.
0: good that's going to come of this. I really do, mm-hmm. because I think we're seeing something play out, you know, there's a, a, a a lesson to be learned of nuclear deterrence (laughs) yes i'll 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 get to my point in a moment you know this we had two world wars inside of you know half a century there uh we should never have made it out of the 20th century you know as a as a society as a world you know we were just hell-bent on destroying ourselves and another hitler another kind of version of world war ii definitely would have happened had not nuclear deterrence come along, you know, as soon as mm-hmm. that happened, we sort of checkmated ourselves and said, OK, I can't destroy you because you can destroy me. And that whole thing has sort of locked in place this sort of ironic peace uh, based on the hmm. fact of, of mutual destruction, yes. you know, yeah. Yeah. and uh, I think we're seeing our own little version of that happening right now where the finger pointing and the blame game is happening on the biggest, loudest, stupidest scale at this point Agreed. in our society, in my, in my time. And it just can't get any worse. You know, it's like, okay, go ahead, you know, play this thing out. Cause it ain't going to fix anything. You know, we're going to have a yeah. zero sum yeah. game where you have to destroy me. If I'm going to, if you're going to win, that doesn't work, you know, and that's, that's where we are right now as a culture. And and we're going to find out it doesn't work, and end up probably healing ourselves as a result of
1: that. I, I, I hope. Boy, I, I, I hope apart. sooner than later. Man, I'll tell you. You know, it, you it's know? yeah. But
0: can you believe we're moving through this period? I mean, we're smart people, right? It, it's We crazy. sit around talking like we understand anything, and and yet this whole madness is going on. I don't get it.
1: It, it's really hard to kind of stay based in common sense through some of it because it, it's like almost if you if I read the craziest science fiction book science fiction book three years ago, I'm like, oh my God, there's no way that's got to be. but here we are. Here we yeah. are in the book.
0: There used to be room yeah. for for your conservative viewpoint versus the liberal view, viewpoint. right. It, it used to be a recognition that neither extreme really works, guys. Mm-hmm. you know like we know this. And, and it's fun or whatever it was to, to discuss it and be pissed off at each other. But in the end, it's not going to work, you know, like, let's just admit that. And so the middle ground sort of owned the game in those days that I grew up in. And, uh, and now there's this fantasy that, and I, I'm super fueled by, by media, I must say, uh, you know, the storytelling that, that we're just saturated by because of our, our phones and everything else is, uh, is fueling this thing, I suppose. But uh it it does seem like we've walked to the edge on purpose only to sort of look over the edge and say, well, that's not going to work if we fall off.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I would, I would hope so. I mean, I think in my, in my little circle of the planet, I think we all think that, but you never, you never know what, I don't know, sometimes what other people are thinking or it, it, I it's, think some people yeah. want to see the world burn. Yeah. yeah. Sad. I
3: Yeah. I think a big, a big part of the problem too is that, uh, we have so much of the discourse online now as opposed to in person Mm -hmm. and uh, people have forgotten that you can't, you need to speak to people that whether you agree with them or disagree with them with a little bit of respect in person or else you're going to get punched in the face. Whereas online you can just say whatever you want because what's going to happen. Right.
0: But would that, who would have thought that would have been so persuasive? Like, who who listens to stuff online really? You not know, in like, my not in
1: my wildest dreams. I mean, honestly, you know, and and it really like Josh was saying, it really goes back to y- you need to learn how to talk to people and not at people, and and we're not doing that right now. You know, well, yeah, it's, it's just that, a weird thing. The,
3: the the online discourse is more extreme and and pulling people apart, mm-hmm. but I think that it also gets an outsized uh, modicum of influence. Yeah, like for you sure. know what I mean. I think if if it's easy. If you could have these conversations with people you disagree with in a civil manner, face to face, you probably could change some minds or at least like say, you know what, I disagree with you, but I respect you because you were willing to talk to me as opposed Correct. to yell at me yep. on the Internet from behind a keyboard and an avatar and all that. But they
0: used that. to do that. They yeah. used to sort of set the bar with Congress. That was always where you kind of saw where these guys who were, you know, voted in to be opposed to each other, they still had their sort of club where they were like, okay, but we're still going to get along. Yeah. They, yeah still, I mean, awesome. they still go to
2: the same dinners and yeah, yeah. go to the same events. And I, like, I
0: suspect that still is more true than we know, but, uh, absolutely. But they, they have to, you know, speak to their, their constituencies and hope to get yeah. primary it's the primary system oh I mean, my god the go media, i mean they they're,
2: <laughs> they're they're it's just a show for their base Th- that's oh all right you're gonna yeah. be on cnn you're gonna be on <laughs> fox and then you there's no way you two yeah. people actually like go sit down and have drinks in some dc bar so, you know, i or think something.
0: they need to destroy the primary system that's my I that's agree. my solution Take the primary system away, for God's sakes! I don't know. You put. I don't even remember what was before that, but it was in my lifetime, I think, or just before it, anyway. That this whole idea came along that they would primary everybody, and that creates the whole problem.
1: And you know, it's all about labels too. Everybody has to have a label, and you have to be in a lane. I don't understand why we have to have a label in front of anything. Oh, I agree totally. You know, in my
0: family, we are. I have a big family, and there's a wide. I mean, we're all politically different. It, it tilts blue, I would say, but, I mean, there's a whole lot of red in there, and everybody loves each other. Everybody gets along. Everybody, you know, avoids talking about what they don't want to talk about. It's okay. You mm-hmm. know, like, that's the way you do
1: it. Yeah. In yeah. this country, it's needs called to get respect back to and that, courtesy. We don't have it anymore. Yeah, the civil it's, uh, discourse, yeah. All right, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Well, with that being said, I so, Don, thank you for your time. I mean, I know, so I told you, right? You called me earlier today just to get some questions and answers. And and I said, you know, yeah, we're a paranormal podcast, but we're a little bit more. And this is kind
0: of, I hope what, I didn't disturb, <laughs> I Oh, it's awesome. Them. It's disappoint amazing. your audience, no,
2: no, no, not at all. I mean, well, you didn't oh, disappoint yeah. me, so that's yeah, all that matters. Yes, yeah, 100%. Yeah, <laughs> okay. We like the audience. Just kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, I
0: I really enjoy it. I thank you very yeah. much for the opportunity to, to to meet you and to talk to you and yep. and, and let fly here. I really like it. No, Thanks a no, lot.
3: absolutely. Well, I just want to say thank you because uh, his uh, Cities of the Underworld inspired me to be a history major until I uh, flunked out for, like the <laughs> third time. <laughs> um, but it's it's been a great pleasure for me to have you on the show. Like, yeah, uh, it's, thank you, John. It's been Uh, fantastic. It's been fantastic. I really
0: really appreciate it. It's an odd thing to be a guy on TV, you know, because uh, you get a a sort of pedestal just by virtue of the media. You know, you're Mm -hmm. put out there. I've seen myself portrayed in this heroic version of myself i squirm on my couch you know I, my wife like what what's wrong i said i can't stand this i hate this when they do this Don Weldman, he he's going to this place and that place and so the, but they have to build you up to to make you interesting but yeah, when i hear know. that people are touched by what we've done and and understand that there's a, a deeper message to it you know and particularly young people who you know decide I, sorry can i do one more story you can cut it out of the show i'll just tell sure. you.
1: Oh, oh yeah no by all means i'm in
0: I'm in Budapest, and we're doing a story about uh, Vlad the Impaler, oh, yes. which I've done three sh- three specials about Vlad the Impaler. I've done enough Vlad the Impaler in my life. Yeah. And and there we were, but I was excited about going to Budapest, which I'd never been to before.
2: Beautiful and, city. Uh,
0: beautiful city, extraordinary. And we're doing the tunnels, which are there's vast tunnel systems under Budapest. And this guy comes in. He's a strikingly handsome 30 to 35-year-old guy, Uh, taller than me, and I'm pretty tall. And so he was just, you know, an imposing figure. And he's very well-spoken in English and and a professor, apparently, or a tour guide, I guess he was. And we go through the whole day, and I could tell he's not wanting to talk about Vlad the Impaler because he really wasn't in these tunnels. It was one of those days where we were kind of faking, stretching the truth just to sort of get a segment that we needed to fill in the story. And he was willing to play the game, which we appreciated so much. And the day dragged on. there was a lot more shooting than we should have done. But at the end of the day, he finally turns to me and says, "I'm a little embarrassed about this because this isn't really true history. and I, i'm and it's sad to me because the reason I did this show was because of you." And I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Oh, they translated the shows. They showed these they showed cities of the underworld uh, when I was a kid. And oh. you're the reason I became a historian." And I'm telling you, I just welled up with tears because I liked the guy. Genuinely, we'd had a fun time. uh, We'd really bonded through the day. But to know that I'm a kid from New Jersey, you know, without a degree, and I end up doing something on television by, you know, hook and crook or whatever the phrase is, you know, just by luck of the draw, that ends up influencing a child in Hungary, you know, across the world to decide to do something with his career. And he's happy because of it was just really stuck with me. And that's, that's where the business really matters and, you know, has some, something to really offer. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that as I am to you, Josh, for telling me that. So I appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. All right. No, for sure.
1: So we're going to let you go. Dot, is there anything we can help you with as far as uh, promotion, anything? I mean, obviously, you know, this will go out here in a, a week or so, but, you know, having you on, uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Love to have you back. If, if you don't mind, hopefully we didn't chase you away. Oh, please. You know? I would
0: love to. And, yeah. and next time, let's do it and ask me about something like really specific and we'll, we'll spend it on instead of sort of, you know, haphazardly about me and I can really get into some detail about stuff. I'd love to. Really yeah. would. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's as easy as me walking down to my basement and talking to you so yeah uh, promotionally no thanks that's that's fine i'm it's a i'm in limbo right now we're figuring out what we're going to be doing next so there's nothing to to promote anyway
1: right right <laughs> well you know what you've you, you got a wealth of work out there in front of you so that's fantastic um if right. you want to just stay online we're going to thank you offline uh, everybody that was don wildman close the gates Yeah, and you know what's sad after the whole after we got him, but number one, (laughs) holy shit, we could have kept him for how long? Like it was,
2: (laughs) could have talked to him for four or five hours at least. Oh, easily, just amazing. And I would have been happy to just sit there and be like, uh huh, yeah. Wow, what? (laughs) Um, I am a little bummed that you know we kind of went with the. No, I mean we just asked him the the. You know, it's kind of what where yeah. background, whatever. But like, you know, I, I, really do wish kind of, we were, we focus on like a thing like, Agree. all right, Don. Yeah. What, what do you want to, what do you want to teach us about? Yeah. yeah like Cause I want to know, I want to learn what you're trying to teach us. Yeah. Yeah. When he was like,
3: next time, let's talk about something specific. I was like, I have a whole list of very specific <laughs> things, but yeah, I'm really bad at jumping into the, <laughs>
1: That was so bad, too, because I, I asked you. I said, hey, look, you, we got this guy lined up, you know, verified um, yesterday for the recording. And, and then, Josh, you know, you, you sent a slew of these very and specific. And we got
2: to, like, two of them. <laughs> two of them. Yeah, that's what we did. And we yeah, have two pages of very I'm, specific. Well, I I
3: <laughs> I
2: personally messaged you. I'm like, Josh, <laughs> you need to fucking jump in here right now. <laughs> oh, did you questions?
3: And then... And then
2: yes, off it the goes opportunity to jump in. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, sorry. well, no, you, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. Man. Regardless, it was, it was super oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was, yeah, uh, no, they was say, cool.
3: they say never meet your heroes and uh, that dude fucking rules. So yeah. Meet some of your heroes for sure, man. And mm. I'll tell you,
1: honestly, I meant it when I said, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to you know put blush on anything. I, I was like, man, he, you know, I've been watching things that he's been a part of for years, and and it's like, man, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know, and it just makes you really want to get that grasp for history, and you know, all the stuff you learned in school that w- was, you know, majority of it was just bullshit. You know, in a way, it was right out of a textbook. You know, who's who knows what these things are, and we're still discovering it, and and he's the epitome of that. You know,
2: I would have liked, that was one of my questions I wanted to ask, we got to have him back on because I want to ask him like, you know, what in school was bullshit that we learned right 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 yeah Yeah, well
3: most of it i mean honestly like most of it wasn't like a straight up
2: oh i know i know i but i just want to i want to hear his i I want i want to hear his answer to that question yeah yeah definitely like what is don wildman's answer to that so i don't know yeah but yeah that was a super fun one
3: i want to ask him what he thinks about uh civilization in the u.s going or well civilization in prehistoric America going back another th- at least 3,000 years. At least. Farther than we thought. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's all these little tidbits, you know, And like I said, I, I yeah, you know, I mean, he had story after story and I was just amazed to sit here and listen to him, really. But yeah, yeah I, I, I think, yeah. Sure, <laughs> <Hey, I know laughs>
2: hey, hey, just call him back up. Just call Tell him to get back in. As we as we were
1: talking, Don, and, uh, you know, wondering what you're doing on Saturday at 11. We I know it's past 10 o'clock where you have are, a lot but.
2: Of specific questions, we just didn't
3: get to them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. don't know how to fucking just jump in and ask yeah um no but uh i really meant it though like uh the first time i tried to go back to college i was a history major and it was because of cities of the underworld like yeah wow i'm gonna get a degree in history and i'm gonna go research and write for the history channel for these type of shows and that's what i'm gonna do with my life and then you know things happen and school's expensive and yeah yeah life <laughs> life
1: grows up and, and here you are yeah no the same thing I mean he's you know despite his him being humble uh, what he's his life and what he's living it is like oh my god I, I couldn't even I'd have to wake up every morning pinch myself and go up oh, it, it's I'm doing it again you know it's just amazing you know it's absolutely amazing so. But uh, yeah, Don Wallman, everybody. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely have him back. It sounds like he's more than willing. It'd be great. You know, I'll I'll bug him again on that whole thing. Um, We wanted to make this the first episode, you know, just because we care and we love you and we've been away for a long time. Uh, Patrons, we had a uh, episode out there, bonus that we put out, I think on the 30th, we dropped that. Um, that was exclusively for you guys. It was on the catacombs, and it was interesting. And that's when I was managed to get together with you guys in uh, Salt Lake and record that. Um, we've got other guests lined up. We've got other research lined up in the middle of a book currently uh, about somebody that we all know that um, it, it's an amazing story, and I think it'll work great. I uh, had some feedback from other Patreon strangers about, hey, why don't you talk about this? And so we're kind of researching that. So I think this year, this season is going to be – you know, and no offense to it, you know, we've had some great people on, we've had some great guests on, but I, I think we're gonna kind of we're gonna weasel away from the guests a little bit and kind of do some of our own ground pounding a bit on some of the research and, and what we have, and kind of find that balance a bit. And so, you know, if you're a, you're a fan of season five, season four, I and mean, we might not have as many interviews, but um, I think everything's still going to be just as legit. I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: I think it'll be funner. Yeah. For yeah. me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, sometimes you get guests on, you like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, it's easy to line yeah. up a guest. But, uh, boy, man, I like learning. And and especially now I'm even more excited. I, the fuse got lit after dawn. You know, it's like just listening to how it, it just amazed he is with history and how intricate it is and what of a spider web it is. And, and, it, and then it, yeah. you know, it pumps me up to, to think about the well, same thing,
2: you know. And there's no shortage of topics. There's no, you know, and no, even if it's no. – and I think – Being in the paranormal, whatever, getting into it, like for so long, I I think sometimes just the world is more interesting than anything. And like the mysteries behind certain certain aspects of it are just more fascinating than like. I don't know. Does bloody Mary exist?
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, did you ever, yeah, yeah.
2: fucking like, I mean, the flying yeah, Dutchman, maybe, maybe the lore behind bloody Mary and why, how that thing came about is interesting. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, I, don't uh, know.
3: I love UFOs and ghosts and Bigfoot and all that shit. But uh, sometimes just what's going on in the world around us is equally interesting. It's pretty crazy fascinating. It's pretty fascinating. Enough. And yeah.
2: just as mysterious as, you know, yeah. Yeah. Whatever for sure. the hell. Well, like it I was just said, like that
1: story he was telling us uh, when we had him off air, which we can't, you know, that he told another story when we ended up recording and, and being from Salt Lake, like, what, what, what? <laughs> you know, just amazing. amazing. Yeah.
3: I'd heard of the yeah. lost Dutchman mind, but like the connection he made to uh, the Utes and the Aztecs, I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's rad. No, no, um, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, like, like we've always said, I think the most important thing is, is it, an interesting story. Exactly. You know? like, yeah, yep. we tend to gravitate towards, uh, like supernatural paranormal kind of stuff. But like when we did the pirates episode, like I don't, that's not my whole world. I find other things interesting also,
1: but you it was know? fun and it was cool. And I learned stuff that I
2: never yeah. thought. And of, I mean, that's you know? why I wanted to do the pirates episode. Cause I'm like, this is just fucking fascinating. This is cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, people, this is, this really fucking happened. Yeah. It that really happened.
1: Crazy, crazy.
2: People just, Flying on boats. Doing all this crazy <laughs> doing, crazy shit.
1: Doing their shit. No. How no. I, I think that's where we're gonna we're gonna go with some of this, you know, as we kinda we still hone and you know, like Don said, you know, shit, when you stop learning you're you're kinda dead. There's so much stuff out there. Um, you know, let's make our own path a bit. So, but uh, yeah, that's what, so stand by everybody for what we have for uh, season six. Again, um, if anybody has any ideas past that, or you have feedback for the show or guess we have on, you know, feel free. 801 252 yeah. Even though I had a month off, I didn't get the dolphin sound on the I, sound and, box. I, and
2: I knew you wouldn't. You're like, Oh, I'll get that ready for next season. like, yeah. no, you fucking won't. No, so no, don't even say it. it. Yeah. By, yeah. by the time you get that
3: on the soundboard, like we're, Actually, I think we might already be over the joke. I, I probably
2: more likely. Yeah, yeah. I already was over the joke.
1: Well, it's oh, been, it's oh. been,
2: it's over a month. It's been, outside. it's been a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. been a bit. For sure. Um, I and didn't uh, even try and do it that time because I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. No, I get it, it. I get it. Maybe We've
1: we got to pack it. that one and put, a, it. Up, and put it in the attic for sure. Um, or if you don't want to call, you can actually write us to strangeuncles at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a, a message. Let us know. Again, you know, recommendations, stories, whatever have you. I met a guy today that uh, he's got a pretty amazing story, and I handed him a card. I'm like, dude, call in. And he said he would. So, you know, We'll see what that looks like. Um, And then as far as socials, how are we looking there?
3: We are sometimes available at Strange Uncles Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, At Strange Uncles on Twitter, we've got a YouTube channel. Um, If anyone wants to manage our social media for free, hit me up.
1: Free is a keyword. Also, if
2: anybody wants to send me a letter, I live at 1462 West 500 North. You can figure out the rest. There you go.
1: Anyway, and that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. Have. There you go. Awesome, guys. That's the show. It's great seeing you. It's great being back for season six. Uh, look forward to good guests and, um, man, keep alive amongst everything else. So, close the gates, keep everybody. Secret.
3: Keep it safe. Yep, exactly. I have to go watch Lord of the Rings. I have been. <laughs> that's sad.
1: Close the gates, guys.